0: your next stay. Find a stay for any you when you book direct at choicehotels.com, where travels come true.
2: Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History
0: Class
1: from HowStuffWorks.com.
2: Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Sarah Dowdy, And I'm Holly Fry. Welcome, Holly. Thanks. So a few of you probably remember Holly from her most recent visit to the podcast where we talked about underwear. Yes. That was super fun. Boomers. All sorts of things. Queen Victoria, your favorite. Yes. Corsets. Um, But Holly also hosts Pop Stuff, so a lot of y'all probably know her from there already, and she's going to be Stepping up to Phil Dublina's spot as podcast co-host. Yes, indeed. So that's very exciting. Um, Also, I feel like I should get it out of the way so I'm not stringing you guys along for a few episodes. But I'm going to be leaving the podcast, too, in a few more episodes. Sadness in my heart. (laughs) And uh, Holly is going to be joined by... Our manager, the site director of How Stuff Works, and her Pop Stuff co-host, Tracy Wilson. Yes. So, so that's sh- lots of transitions. Yes. Big excitement, but you guys can get ready for it, and yeah. Holly and I are going to have some fun. In the yes, I'm
0: excited. I get time with Sarah before she vanishes.
2: <laughs> vanishes vanishes into the the editing world of How Stuff <laughs> Works. So today's topic, I wanted to pick something that was fun, something that's been requested by listeners Mm -hmm. a lot, but also something that people have been talking about in the entertainment world a lot lately, thanks to a new movie coming out.
0: Yes. Uh, Boz Lerman's Gatsby is going to be out in May of this year, so just a few months out. And it it will, as many of his movies are, probably be a little controversial because he takes a very unique approach to telling historical stories, but it looks beautiful.
2: It does look beautiful. I saw the preview for it. It starts with a group of people riding in an open car. Yeah. It looks all very roaring twenties. Very exciting. It looks exciting. gorgeous.
0: It looks super gorgeous. I'm really excited because I am a big Baz Luhrmann fan and there are lots of people in the cast that I really like. Like I really like Joel Edgerton cast as Tom. Um, um, and I think Carrie Mulligan is going to be a really interesting Daisy. And um, we have Leo, yeah, who I've told you very recently. I feel bad; he's been much maligned as an actor through the years. I think because Titanic kind of he got a, a syrup.
2: He's done all right. He got for kind himself. of coated
0: in some glorpy <laughs> syrup. People don't always love that, and it it caused a negative connotation. But I really think he is quite a good actor, and I, I'm. I'm interested to see where his career goes in the
2: next. I few think years. this might be a good role for him too. But I think so. this movie has been in the works for so long now. It yes, seems because
0: it was originally supposed to come out holiday 2012. Yeah, and, and it got bumped.
2: Been speculation for ages. I mean, a long time back uh, who would be cast yep. in it. So I think partly because of that, and partly just because of a general fascination with the Fitzgeralds. Like I mentioned, listeners have been requesting F Scott, his wife Zelda, yeah. for ages now. Because they have really fascinating, really troubling lives in addition to a, a impressive body of work.
0: Yeah, and the 20s are just, they're kind of in the spotlight right now. I think the artist helped do that. And then leading into Gatsby, Zelda and F. Scott are on everybody's mind. And they're yes. such a stylish, romantic, but kind of, you know, tragic story that yeah, we kind of can't help but get attached to it.
2: We're going to get into some of the, the tragic <laughs> aspects of this, but we're going to start at the beginning like mm. normal. F. Scott Fitzgerald was born September 24th, 1896 in St. Paul, Minnesota, and his father was apparently a failed wicker furniture salesman, which I think is a a really strange way to define somebody. That's about the only <laughs> definition I saw of him, too.
0: Yeah, there's not a lot of... And then he went on, to. That's pretty much what he got saddled with as a as a label.
2: Yeah, and, and of course, too, F. Scott Fitzgerald was uh, named for his distant relative, Francis Scott Key, who we've done... I think Katie and I did a podcast on Francis Scott Key years and years ago. He grew up comfortable. He grew up in a middle-class Catholic family, although so he did point out later, I think because his parents pursued such a good education for him, he always felt mm-hmm. like he was the least well-off in a group of rich kids. Right.
0: And I think that plays out in his work.
2: It does, that too. That theme
0: kind of recurs. He's
2: always extremely class-conscious. Yeah. He had two older sisters who died before he was born. One little sister, Annabelle, who also I didn't see a whole lot on except for these terrible letters he wrote to her when she was a teenage girl offering good brotherly advice, except they were just like, the last things you would want to hear, probably, if you were a teenage girl, like you know, you have a little hair on your face problem, and maybe you should see a doctor about that, or um, you know, you should be more socially outgoing. And a really good opening line is to compliment someone on, "Oh, your eyelashes are so incredibly long." So these were the sorts of things he was writing to little Annabelle. Um, so Do we
0: know what age she was when she was getting I these think pearls? She was about of
2: fourteen or so. So again, just the worst age possible. Yeah. Uh, Something, though, that I think makes her worth mentioning (laughs) in our story. (laughs) It's funny.
0: So he ended up um, attending New Jersey's Newman School, and he
2: wrote detective stories there. And then, even though he wasn't the greatest student, he got into Princeton. He did. He charmed his way in and um, was obviously not going there for... Uh, to pursue a great academic career, since that was not his interest. He wanted to play football, but he did not have the build for that. And so he decided he would keep writing, in this case, write musical comedies, write operettas. Right, isn't that the most
0: natural transition? Like <laughs> yeah. Football didn't work out. Football I think I'm going to awesome. go into a life of theater. <laughs>
2: Well, and, and just a year later, his sophomore year, he played a chorus girl in one of his own plays. And I knew I didn't even have to send this picture to you, Holly, because you would have seen it already. It's pretty well known. Yeah. It's F. Scott Fitzgerald. In costume as a lady. it's quite pretty. He is quite pretty. Uh, He's lovely. At least at, at that time.
0: I mean, if you didn't know it was a man in drag and you just saw it as a historical photograph, You're- I think you'd be like, well, that's a handsome woman. Yeah.
2: Like you <laughs> maybe
0: wouldn't even question whether it was a man or a woman in the outfit.
2: I certainly wouldn't recognize it as him either unless yeah. I saw a direct side to side comparison. Um, but, you know, dressing up as a chorus girl writing his own plays didn't stop him from being a, a really popular student too. He joined an eating club. He took up with an Illinois debutante uh, who may have been the inspiration at least in part for Daisy mm-hmm. and the Great Gatsby. And unfortunately he started drinking As too. many kids do
0: in college. Yeah,
2: but his became a little bit of a problem. A lifetime problem. And uh, certainly didn't help with his grades at Princeton either.
0: No. Not really the fast track
2: for achievement to
0: develop a drinking problem in college.
2: No, Uh, but I guess fortunately for F. Scott, he had kind of lost interest in college by that point. He had gotten to the age where he could join the army of course, World War One was on, so he signed up, hoping to see action, hoping to be deployed to to Europe for World War One. But the war ended before he could be deployed, and so uh, instead he ended up. Spending a lot of his free time sitting around and writing.
0: There is a certain comedy to the fact that his fallback thing, which is like, "Well, that's not going to work out. I'll just write." That's not working out either. I'm going to write, and that's really what he's lauded for historically. His yeah, yeah,
2: and and retrospectively, you know, with these detective stories and at his at uh, his high school and the comedies in college it seems like he was working on that all along but um, i guess he wasn't really aware of that trajectory yeah. at first so he put together his first novel which he called The Romantic Egotist in only 3 months and he wrote that just on the weekend too so consecutive weekends for 3 months wrote a novel we're going to come back to That's an to intense that one later. schedule. It is intense but he was not so focused on the book as it may seem because right. he was spending a lot of his free time courting. He met a Montgomery, Alabama debutante while he was serving in the army, which is probably the most memorable aspect of his service. Right. Is it while at Camp Sheridan? met a young lady named Zelda Zelda indeed. She was kind of Miss thing. <laughs> uh, I mean, as far as I can tell, she seemed like, An it girl before there were really it girls. Uh, Just about every southern college boy seemed to be in love with her. Every army man stationed in the area seemed to be in love with her. And, uh, you know, she fit the profile. She was very pretty. She was well off. She was a judge's daughter. But she was fun, too. She was flirty. She would drink. Yeah, she was not a prim and proper gal. No, not at all. all. So she
0: kind of had that zest for life that is often very magnetic, which is probably why every man that came in contact with her was like, I really like Zelda.
2: <laughs> and she would just do these crazy things, too. I mean, the one of my favorite examples I found came from Biography, an article by Dorothy Rompalsk. She apparently once called the fire department to report a. Poor child stuck on the roof. When the fireman arrived, it was Zelda up on the roof. She had climbed the roof of her own family's home and had this dramatic rescue, probably playing out in front of admirers. So she just did sort of off-the-wall things, which must have really stood out in that time, in that place.
0: Yeah. It it does sort of um, smack a little bit of the privileged kid that doesn't know what to do with their spare time yes yeah, just going to stir up a little trouble <laughs> and drama for fun. You guys, this will be a lark. <laughs>
2: exactly. Oh, it, Zelda. <laughs> it does. And and I mean, you'd think that maybe that might be off-putting, but she certainly managed to keep it on the charming side so much so that a group of auburn men were so devoted to her. They started a secret society to worship her, called it Zeta Sigma.
0: <laughs> That's a little freaky deaky, right? It's, Is it It's just crossing me? a
2: line, yeah. I, That's I think a little... So. Like
0: if you found out there was like this secret meetings going on to talk about Sarah,
2: <laughs> wouldn't you be a little weirded? Like, I don't want to um, hear about any of that, but... Um, it's beyond flattery, and then you're like... I think yeah, Zelda, so much. Zelda would expect it, though. I think it, it seems... Just trying to guess her personality. It seems like something that she would have encouraged. Yeah. But when Fitzgerald popped up on the scene, they took to each other immediately, and um, he started courting her. And then after the war ended, he moved to New York City, and they started this passionate correspondence. But it's not. You, you can find a lot of their a lot of their letters have been published yeah. now. Yeah. Um, but it's not all lovey-dovey. I mean, you wouldn't expect them to. to no, ride it's in that not way. all like
0: the gushy, moony stuff that we often equate with like early 20th century love letters. Mm-hmm. It's there's a sass pants vibe to it.
2: She calls him out sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to read the one zinger she throws at? Him? Sure. Um, she. Gets tired of him comparing
0: her to a princess in a tower, apparently. And so at one point she says, Scott, you've been so sweet about writing, but I'm so damn tired of being told that you used to wonder why they kept princesses in towers. You've written that verbatim in your last six letters. So She's basically like, step it up. Be
2: a more original writer. Move me with some new words, <laughs> champ. And um, this is like the most ridiculous detail in their correspondence, though. He proposes, he sends her an engagement ring, she accepts, and in a letter, she thanks him for sending along the engagement ring, and then informs him that 60 Auburn ROTC cadets just came to town, <laughs> so have fun in this New York. This is awesome, I love my ring, I can't wait to it <laughs> to this party with 60 boys. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and... and F. Scott Fitzgerald had a good reason to be a little concerned about the state of their relationship because ultimately Zelda did break off their engagement and she refused to marry him until he was earning enough to be able to support her in style. Although you'll see different accounts of the reasons behind that, ones right. that don't make it seem quite as money focused. Uh, more Fitzgerald being a little too obsessive and and telling her that I, I don't think...
0: I don't buy that one by the way <laughs> this you know from a girl who has a secret club that's about <laughs> devoted their devotion to her you think it's somebody? I don't buy that she would be put off by someone being too into her
2: uh, I mean apparently he told her he couldn't succeed if he didn't have her by by his side and right. and she insisted okay no you got to figure out your own deal before I'm gonna marry you either way though. Um Zelda set off on this busy schedule after they broke off the engagement, busy schedule of attending college football games all over the South, um, actually complaining that it was kind of exhausting to do that.
0: Does this, do you, when you research this, because I definitely, in reading about them, had that moment where I don't think about so much of that period of their lives. They're mm-hmm. associated so much with what came later that it's like when you think of them as, you know, her as a college girl that's just very busy with her college Southern social activities. Mm-hmm. It's like, wait, are, wait, did I turn
2: the wrong page? Am I in, am I onto somebody else's biography? I know. It, it does make you think about also the different lives they could have potentially yeah. gone down. And I mean, I think it's clear she saw him as as a ticket out of that world but it is strange to see her in a time when she so clearly relishes being in it, too. Yeah. Um, but Fitzgerald, meanwhile, he's up in New York. He knows he's got to win this lady quickly because she's not going to be on the market for very long. Right. And so he decides that he's going to get into advertising. And he does that because he gets rejected for writing for seven New York City newspapers. Um, And thinks that advertising is going to be a faster way to make money than writing a novel. (laughs) But that doesn't work
1: out for him. And if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks.
0: When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Yeah, the advertising game has never been known for its ease, I don't think. So, (laughs) bless your heart, F. Scott. You meant well. Uh... Yeah, and then he, after he had been in New York for a while, and he, nothing was working out, he decided that he would move back to St. Paul to his parents' house, and he started rewriting his novel, The Romantic Egotist, which he had subsequently retitled The Side of Paradise. Um, And then he delivered that manuscript to Scribner in 1919, but it got rejected again, However, there was a ray of light.
2: Maxwell Perkins.
0: Yeah, there was an editor that read the manuscript, and he um, had already encouraged F. Scott Fitzgerald when he saw the original draft, and he threatened to resign if the firm didn't reconsider taking on that writer.
2: And that worked, and the manuscript was accepted just days before F. Scott Fitzgerald turned 24. He apparently, and this is just a charming moment before things get Really good and then really bad. Yeah. He has his acceptance letter. He runs out of his parents' house into the street, <laughs> waving it around. It's just like a nice little pre-fame moment for him.
0: Yeah. It's like you can picture it in any, like, uh, rags to riches story in a film. Yeah. Like, this is the magic <laughs> moment where the music swells, and it's like, it's going to be okay. But then there's a lot more like. road ahead.
2: <laughs> It all looks rosy at that point. This Side of Paradise, incidentally, is one of my favorite Fitzgerald books. Um, I feel like it kind of it starts off perfectly. And I wonder now, knowing how many times he rewrote it and how many times he reworked the, the story, like the first two-thirds of the book are just almost perfect. And then I almost feel like he loses the story a little bit. So I'm going to have to do some more reading on the different drafts of that now. Uh, But it's an interesting story, and it, it really did kick off his career, too. It sold out within days of publication in 1920, and it defined... The Jazz Age, it defined the type of uh, man who had lived through the war and who was ready to embrace the 1920s. Yeah, I
0: mean, I think a lot of um, historians will actually cite that publication and its immediate, uh, really unusual level of success as this is the start of the Jazz Age. Like, that's kind of the bookend that starts it out.
2: Yeah, new people, new generation. Mm -hmm. And it also, really conveniently for biographers, marks the start of F. Scott and Zelda, because Zelda... Agrees to marry him. Their marriage is tied right up to that (laughs) publication. Eight days after publication, they get married and they kick off this whirlwind honeymoon phase in New York City, which is also uh, really memorable to to anybody who saw it at the time. Partying, drinking, playing in fountains. Uh, Dorothy Parker witnessed them riding down Fifth Avenue on the top of a cab and wrote, quote, They did both look as though they had just stepped out of the sun. Their youth was striking. Everyone wanted to meet them. So just pure bliss at this point. Yeah. Although not a whole lot of money initially. That was a a bit of a surprise to learn about. It took a while for the the money to start rolling in. Yeah. Uh, They started spending it right away, though. They were
0: excited. (laughs) They just knew there was more coming.
2: They knew. They knew they had (laughs) arrived And they started a family quickly, too. Uh, Their first and only child, Francis Scott, or Scotty, uh, a daughter, was born in 1921. And uh, quickly enough, it was apparent that Fitzgerald was going to have to keep on writing and writing and writing and not stop in order to maintain this lifestyle that they had set up and, and this celebrity they had built for themselves.
0: Yeah. Now, I mean, wife and daughter to support... And a family, too. Yeah, in grand style... I can't imagine the pressure that must have been the moment he realized, like, my career is not really my own anymore. I just have to keep going all the time. Doing.
2: Well, and especially since he had spent several years on his first book, yeah. honing it and and perfecting it. Um, it worked for a while, though. He was able to churn things out pretty quickly. Um, he wrote two short story collections. He wrote a satirical play, and he wrote the novel The Beautiful and the Damned in the three years after The Side of Paradise published. That's, That's a lot to
0: churn stunning. out in
2: 3 years. That's, <laughs> That's a whole lot. It's really stunning. And the the short story collections, um, he was apparently really good at just whipping out short stories and and since he had that fame from the side of paradise, he could command a pretty high fee for yep. their publication. Uh, Zelda did her part too <laughs> to stir up Fitzgerald enthusiasm even if she was kind of um she's a little materialist. In <laughs> Her review of the book, The it Beautiful and the Damn, she wrote, quote, everyone must buy this book for the following aesthetic reasons. First, because I know where there is the cutest cloth of gold dress for only $300 in a store on 42nd Street. And also, if enough people buy it, I know where there is a platinum ring with a complete circlet. And also, if loads of people buy it, my husband needs a new winter overcoat, although the one he has has done well enough for the last three years. So we need the money, folks. Go buy the book. I need, I need pretty stuff. <laughs> exactly. It's, <laughs> it's so forward. It is. And it just, it cracks me up. There I, are, the rest of the review is pretty sassy, too, again, going back to, to Zelda's sass. But, um, so, that went on for three, They were doing okay years. for a while. But by 1924, things started to go a little bit sour. Fitzgerald's drinking habit had gotten to be it was a officially problem. a problem. Mm-hmm. And Zelda was starting to exhibit signs of mental illness. We're going to talk about that more later. Yeah. Uh, But things were not going that well between them. So they took off to Europe, too, because Fitzgerald was thinking, okay, enough with all these short stories. I want to focus on another novel. And the result of leaving for Europe, which was also cheaper, by the way, was The Great Gatsby, which... Drew on Fitzgerald's experience uh, earlier, living on Long Island, and and some of the things he witnessed there. Yeah. Uh, it's actually the least autobiographical of his books, though, if you if you think about it. Yeah. Um, even though he's often considered to be Gatsby, almost.
0: Yeah, I could see him in either of the two main roles. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, if you know anything about their biography, it's very easy to see a bit of Zelda and Daisy. Yeah. Um, although I think uh, I've talked about you at this before, particularly in film adaptations, that sometimes Daisy comes off as a little bit dippy to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think probably Zelda was not like that at all. She may have been loopy, but
3: sometimes Magnetic. Daisy comes <laughs> off
0: as a little bit like almost childlike. She doesn't really have command of the way the world works, which I don't. Think was necessarily the case with Zelda. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think you see shades of and impressions of people and things in his life without it being autobiographical.
2: So, Gatsby, that's a pretty impressive product of this yeah. move abroad, but they also fell in with the famous Riviera expat scene.
0: Yeah, which is just. I mean, historically, I can't imagine they really realized what they were.
2: No, it's one of those things where, looking back on it, you—it's a central part of your 20th-century American novel class. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but I can't imagine they. Realize, yeah, yeah. They probably
0: weren't sitting around Fortnite going, was. you know, in another forty years, everybody's going to be talking about this party and these people in this room.
2: With this crowd, though, I mean, we we're talking, of course, Hemingway, Picasso, Dorothy Parker, Cole Porter. You would have to realize you were among an immensely talented group of people, and yeah. they all gravitated around this couple, Gerald and Sarah Murphy, who were wealthy, artistic Americans, and they were the ones who. Sort of brought these people. They kind together. of hosted the whole scene, so they must have seen what was <laughs> what was happening, even <laughs> if they Hemingway didn't. Yeah, uh, and, and incidentally too, they are partly the basis for Dick and Nicole Diver in Tender Is the Night. Yeah, um, but Europe was not kind to the Fitzgerald marriage. It began about further collapse. Zelda had a fling with a French aviator while Fitzgerald was very absorbed in writing The Great Gatsby. Fitzgerald had drunken rages, according to a PBS article by Ben Fellin. Uh, at least one of those may have resulted in physical abuse, too, when Fitzgerald struck Zelda after she criticized him for smashing a vase. So things were not so hot. Things are getting really bad between them. And she, her behavior was getting pretty erratic as well. Yeah.
0: I, it's kind of funny because they went to Europe kind of to get away from things. But when you look at it, perhaps through our modern lens, it's like, Oh, the marriage is in some trouble. You have some drinking problems. I might be going, crazy. you know what? Let's pack up and make a really stressful move across the yeah. ocean and then move to a country where we don't speak the language. Yeah. It's kind of like the perfect storm of bad ideas and bad stimulus for a marriage at that point.
2: It, it seems that way. I mean, and, and some of Zelda's behavior really got scary, too. Um, she was clearly uh, experiencing some pretty <laughs> serious emotions. Yeah. She uh, tried to throw herself, or she did throw herself, over the edge of a hillside restaurant's patio in 1926 after she thought Fitzgerald had been flirting with Isadora Duncan. Uh, fortunately, she landed on a lower terrace. Mm-hmm. Uh, another time, he was driving in a cliff filled area, and she grabbed the wheel and tried to drive them off the cliff. So, yeah, bad, bad stuff. And, And Zelda was really maybe five years out at this point from having married him having left Alabama and
0: having been like a celebrated debutante and just being the shining star of everyone's world
2: yeah trying to figure out what she was going to do and she knew that she wasn't going to be a flapper it girl anymore yeah Uh, she wrote in 1925 quote quote the flapper, she's getting old. She's come to none of the predicted bad ends, but has gone at last where all good flappers go into the young married set, into boredom and gathering conventions and the pleasure of having children, having lent a while, a splendor and courageousness and brightness to life as all good flappers should. Uh, so her almost obituary have, yeah. to her five years in the limelight and then wondering what she was going to do. And and she really was struggling to define her own creative or express her own creative impulses. Yeah. Um, And unfortunately the two hobbies she settled on were ones that I don't want to make too many assumptions about them, but they're not the freest and breeziest of paths. Yeah, we're talking writing
0: Uh
2: and ballet. The ballet one freaks me out
0: because you're a dancer. Well, I'm not really now, but I did study dance growing up, and there was a time in my life where I thought I wanted to pursue dance as a career. And it's grueling, and it's kind of like that thing where you don't go. I decided I'm going to be a dancer, like at 25. Mm -hmm. You train (laughs) when you're a youth in the hopes that you get to be, but it's kind of. It's kind of both charming and sad that she just decided she was a dancer. Well, and-,
2: and decided not that it would be a, a form for her to express herself, something fun to occupy her time with, but she was going to be a professional yeah. dancer. We're not talking, oh, yeah, she started taking adult dance lessons, which sounds fantastic. Yeah, trying to stay fit and have fun. Not at all like that. She was in her late 20s, decided... She wanted to be a professional ballet dancer and so started taking really serious ballet lessons in Paris and Philadelphia, constant all day, every day training, which just exhausted her. It ruined her health, even though she did become talented. Um, It's just sad because, yeah, clearly at that point, she was not going to be able to attain that She's
0: not going to become a prima ballerina.
2: No, at at 30. Uh, She also, as I mentioned, started writing too. And again, just sort of a difficult career to pursue while you are married to one of the most famous writers of the day. And in, in part, that's because of Fitzgerald's own roadblocks he threw up. Uh, she did publish some stories. She published some essays. Sometimes they were published under a shared byline, but there's a lot of debate over who wrote yeah. what in this family. And, and Fitzgerald certainly uh, gave her credit as a great Letter writer, uh-huh. and certainly just drew directly quoted her letters for some of his work because um, she she did turn quite a phrase yeah. in her letters, <laughs> but was fairly dismissive of her as a professional writer and claimed you know because he was trying to earn the money right. He didn't want her sort of interfering with his career, but... so um, yeah, that's
0: not going to stress your already fragile marriage either.
2: <laughs> lots of lots of debate over those two and, and how exactly Who they Who did were. what
0: and how their writings played out.
2: Yeah. Um, but all the same trouble for Zelda stress. Well, and
0: I think it was a troubled time, too, to think about that's, you know, when the stock market crash is happening and all of that sort of effervescent joy that we often associate with pre-crash 20s, everybody was kind of at a point where they were feeling lost and scared. And I think the people that had had their moorings in like this wealthy, opulent lifestyle, in addition to whatever mental issues she already had going on, it was like, and the sea was just moving under her. She couldn't get footing.
2: Yeah. So in 1930, she had her first major mental health breakdown Uh, it was called nervous exhaustion at the time and she was diagnosed with schizophrenia probably incorrectly Mm -hmm. it was a term thrown around a lot at the time and uh, underwent some treatment and seemed to be better after a few months enough so to to uh, return to her day-to-day life Uh, She and F. Scott Fitzgerald came back to the States for good in September 1931, first to Alabama, then to Hollywood. He was trying to dabble in screenwriting, something that... As
0: many writers of the day were doing. That was really popular in the Hollywood visit. They would you know, kind of plum pick established writers and be like, do you want to work on a screenplay? And it it didn't always translate. It was really stressful for most of them.
2: Uh, and Zelda's stresses seemed to continue too, especially when she was back living with, uh, Scott. Her second breakdown came in 1932, and that point really marks the beginning of a life in and out of asylums, in yeah. and out of hospitals, uh, and what a terrible time to, yeah. to be in that system, too. She underwent electroshock treatment, insulin shock treatment, which apparently is an insulin megadose that forces you into a coma. Uh, she received tranquilizers. So It's
0: so heartbreaking.
2: Upsetting treatment. Yeah. And um, uh, uh, there's a lot of debate, consequently, too, over what, exactly was Zelda experiencing? You know, did she have a mental illness? Right. um, Or was something, you know, was it just brought about from her life with Fitzgerald? Uh, The common consensus today seems to be that she did have some sort of mental, uh, she she may have had bipolar disorder.
0: Right. And And I would even say... It was
2: aggravated by living with this controlling alcoholic husband.
0: Yeah. I mean, I would even say looking back now with the knowledge of modern psychology at hand, if you even look at kind of her antics as a youth, they're very charming and fun, but they suggest some extreme personality behavior. Yeah, And so it's easy to see how that very quickly went down a very negative path with all of the stressors we've been talking when about. When
2: things stop being fun, when things stop mm. being charming and, and cross a Across a point into just being disturbing. Yeah. Um, but she did keep up treatment, as we mentioned, through the, until the end of her life. And she kept on writing, too. She wrote her first novel called Save Me the Waltz while she was at Johns Hopkins Hospital in 1932. And that was a sore point <laughs> between the couple, too. Fitzgerald really did not want the book to be published and had it majorly edited, and there's, again, some debate over whether that was just uh, kind of ironically being concerned about his own privacy, you know, don't write about our lives, or whether it was, I want to use some of these incidents in my next book. Well, and we also don't know how much
0: of that psychology of like, no, this is my thing. Mm -hmm. You know, like he may have felt like his territory was being tread upon. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So, the book came out in 1932, and it also had a very strange royalties arrangement with the publisher. Uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald was in debt to his publisher by this point, and the deal was half of the royalties for her book would go toward paying down his debt, which is pretty unfair. <laughs> um, I mean, Maybe the couple could have worked that out among themselves. Um, It didn't really matter. The book didn't make money, so it was a non-issue. But still, a strange side note there. Zelda's other big hobby at this point was painting, and she has a lot of her paintings are are still visible today. She's inspired by Picasso and Toulouse-Lautrec and Georgia O'Keeffe. They're very colorful, very modern looking. Um, that seems like maybe... I don't know that I've ever seen any, and now I want I to run out Goog- and go Google look at Google image a few of them. It, I don't know. I, I can't judge what somebody should have pursued, which career they should have pursued in life, but it seems like maybe something that brought her more happiness. Well, she
0: clearly others. had artistic
2: uh, leanings. Mm-hmm. I mean,
0: she went through one creative endeavor after another, even if none of them really stuck. I mean, uh, uh, you know, she was a a pretty accomplished dancer, even though it was kind of too late in life to do that. She clearly did some okay writing. I haven't seen her paintings, but they sound really interesting. They are interesting. So she clearly has this expressive nature.
2: She just never kind of stuck with one thing. Maybe that's the, the problem there. But Fitzgerald, I mean, he certainly was focused on one thing, but unfortunately he couldn't do it anymore. He felt like he couldn't write. He had a serious case of writer's block. And that was bad because he was deeply in debt, as we just said, um, because of his own lavish lifestyle, because of Zelda's medical bills, and because of their daughter's expensive schooling. Uh, So he spent this period trying to write. Finally, he came out with his next novel, Tender is the Night, which was published in 1934. And that's a book I remember uh, my professor in college, really, I, I clearly remember his description of that book coming out at just the worst time possible for it. Because it's still this Fitzgerald world, even though it's it's sad. <laughs> the couple in it is sad. Yeah. Things are deteriorating. But they live this life of glamour and excess still. And this is in the middle of the Great Depression.
0: Yeah, no one could identify with those people.
2: No, it, it seemed um, maybe kind of repulsive almost Mm -hmm. to some people. He followed that by another novel in 1935. And at that point he really considered himself a failure as a writer, somebody who had not lived up to the promise of his youth, uh, which is, I mean, tender is the night, is it? fantastic book. (laughs) It's strange that he would have evaluated himself in that way. But at this point, things just seemed so, so bad. And so he wrote this series of three essays, which are called the Crack-Up Essays, for Esquire in 1936, and elaborated on that, elaborated on feeling like an artistic failure, um, somebody who just was nobody at this point.
0: Which is so, I mean, again, it's so funny because we see it through the lens of history, but you can imagine being in it, being someone who is very devoted to and involved in your writing at that point with the wife that's got a ton of problems. You kind of can't keep the sobriety angle together.
2: And who had the success that he did when he did. Yeah. So the Crack Up essays take their name from this extended passage where he compares himself to A cracked plate. It's a little melodramatic. Do you want to read the cracked plate analogy?
0: (laughs) It's so sad. Sometimes, though, the cracked plate has to be retained in the pantry, has to be kept in service as a household necessity. It can never be warmed on the stove nor shuffled with the other plates in the dishpan. It will not be brought out for company, but it will do to hold crackers late at night or to go into the icebox with the leftovers.
2: That is the saddest... It is sad, and I. He just
0: thinks of himself as the thing that should be thrown away, but you can't because you still need to use it. I,
2: know, I looked at I looked at a crack plate, a crack plate oh. that I keep around, and I thought, "Oh, Fitzgerald, it's you." Uh, the publication of these essays, though, just created this gossip storm. People were so fascinated by their confessional nature. Critics did not like them. Friends were angry about him writing so candidly about himself. Um, and a lot of the issues people had with it, or critics and friends, was that it was, again, kind of like Tender is the Night, just published in the wrong time. Don't be so obsessed with yourself if right. things in the world are are so scary.
0: When uh, everyone else is suffering, we kind of don't have time for your depression. For your cracked plate yeah.
2: analogy. Exactly. One of his friends and critics, John Passos, wrote, quote, We're living in one of the damnedest tragic moments in history. If you want to go to pieces, I think it's absolutely okay. But I think you all To write a first rate novel about it, and you probably will, instead of spilling it in little pieces for Arnold Gingrich, who is the editor of Esquire. Hemingway, who always has a zinger like this, always (laughs) ready with
0: a jab in the ribs,
2: he shared an editor with Fitzgerald and, and wrote to the editor complaining about Fitzgerald whining in public. Uh, so people were turned off by yeah. this confessional style. But according to Patricia Hampel, an American scholar, the essays kind of marked the start of two important things. And one was personal. One was for Fitzgerald's career. It sort of signaled the beginning of him least becoming a respected great American author.
0: It's like he had done the whole cycle of like great fame as a youth and then kind of he had the story falling now. off and coming back up to a certain plateau level and then just kind of being a mess.
2: Yeah. And, and you know, the classic story, really. <laughs> classic American writer's story. Yeah. Um, part of this comes after the fact, though. I mean, the essays were pretty popular, even though critics weren't fans. The essays were popular with the public because he was so candid in them. Right. But after his death, they were collected into a book and they just created a stir. People were uh, obsessed with, with the crack-up essays. And it did sort of help shift Fitzgerald's reputation, even though he was... Immensely successful during his lifetime, he kind of had a reputation of somebody who was just writing what he saw, a, a right. voice of his, of his generation, like a chronicler, um, instead of becoming a serious author. Right, and they also sort of helped shift the perception of him as somebody who was self-absorbed into somebody who was just self-aware. He could he could reflect on all that he saw around him. He could engage in it, but he could observe it uh, from afar, too. Mm-hmm. They started that shift in his reputation. The other thing that apparently these, these essays helped start was the great age of autobiographical writing. Yeah. These essays don't seem strange today. No, not at all. <laughs> kind of tame, actually. I mean... He doesn't go into all of. He doesn't talk about his marriage. Zelda. Yeah. Drinking money. None it's of that. It's just kind
0: of his feelings and this sensation of emptiness that he was experiencing.
2: This is which very no pre- one Oprah. wrote about
0: before <laughs> that, or if they did, it was not you know widely publicized and widely uh, read, and certainly did not create like big uh, waves of excitement and discussion amongst readers and critics. Mm-hmm. So it's it really is interesting that he ushered in this whole new sort of genre of writing.
2: Confessional writing, mm-hmm. autobiographical essays. Um, I mean, some of the stuff that makes up the great literary magazines of today still. Um, so that's sort of a sad last few years for Fitzgerald. But the very last few years did seem like things were maybe looking up a little bit. Yeah. Um, he went back to Hollywood and had another go at screenwriting and he got over that writer's block. He started churning out short stories again He had the first draft of a novel, The Last Tycoon. Which I love. I have not read The Last Tycoon. I love that
0: book. And he talks a lot about Hollywood in it. And there are some moments of imagery where he kind of draws back the curtain from the perfection that we see in film and what's really going on behind the scenes. And there's one thing where he's talking about the makeup artist covering the actress's eczema. And it just stuck with me because the imagery of it is so strong and so striking. So real. I, I really want a really good film adaptation of it at some point.
2: Well, and I know it is considered, I mean, most people think had he lived to see it published, it would have revitalized his career mm-hmm. in a huge way. And certainly would have placed him as a, a modern man again, not a sort of relic of the 20s. Right. Um, but he also started a new romance, too, with a gossip columnist, Sheila Graham. He had gotten his drinking together for long enough to to charm her. They kept the romance secret from Zelda, who was still in hospitals at yeah. this point, um, and lived together. But in November of 1940, he had a heart attack and three weeks after that he had a second fatal heart attack dying at only age 44
1: And if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks.
0: When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Can you imagine what else we would have had if he had lived another
2: 20 years? I mean, I think that you have Keats at 25, all yeah. sorts of writers like yeah. that. But uh, yeah, I mean, especially with such a new such a different work on the horizon for him and yeah. and what um, renewed respect and interest in his writing would have wrought yeah. in his life. Yeah. It's certainly interesting to, to think about. Um, Zelda lived on for a few more years and apparently it was pretty quiet. Yeah. Considering, <laughs> considering the rest of her life, I mean, interspersed with relapses, but she Kept up her, her artistic pursuits too. She wrote an incomplete second novel. She choreographed ballets. She kept painting and she became devoutly religious too. Um, and claimed that she could not remember most of the twenties thanks to her electroshock therapy. Um, which may be a blessing or a curse. I don't know. I <laughs> guess. At least she would have known. Yeah, uh, Her life ends truly tragically, though. Yeah. In late 1947, she returned to Highland Hospital, which is in Asheville, North Carolina. And uh, just a few months after that, a kitchen fire tore through the building. Nine women had been locked inside and died, including Zelda. She was identified by a slipper that was under her body. Um I've actually seen the historic marker for this hospital in oh, yeah. Asheville. Yeah, it's just you know you're driving along the road, and then there's the Highland Hospital marker. Um, so, does the marker mention Zelda? Yes. Gotcha. Yeah, she's she's the the reason for the marker. But uh, again, a sad sad end for both members of this relationship. They were buried together, as it seems fitting. <laughs> St. Patrick's Day, 1948. Uh, Zelda was buried next to mm. of Scott in Maryland. And I thought a good way to sort of wrap things up, since that is going on the sad train here Indeed. at the end, um, is a quote from their granddaughter, Eleanor Lanahan. And she wrote, quote, They symbolize zestful youth, and the country has deified youth ever since. And they made celebrity and our fascination with it stylish. So it's not a happy, happy quote or something, but I think it is so true. And that is what people take away from their lives. And I think why so many listeners have requested them. And um, that's, that's the lens through which we remember them.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think they represent an iconic and important shift in public consciousness and how we consume the arts. you know, I mean, on the negative angle of that, you could say without them, we might not be where we're at with reality TV. <laughs> um, but I, you know, it, it was one of the first times where the creators were just as important as the stories they were telling because their life stories seemed just as exciting, mm-hmm.
2: and engaging. and the stories reflected their lives so clearly. Yeah. So. Oh, Scott and Zelda. Scott and Zelda. Interesting to read about, interesting so to look at, fascinating. at pictures of them, too. And and since we don't do too many 20th century topics, or at least haven't in the past, yeah. we don't usually have that opportunity, but there's so many pictures of them and uh, everything from the F. Scott in drag <laughs> at Princeton. <laughs> uh, but I, I find the Zelda pictures really interesting, going from these little, like, Z- Miss Zelda Sayer, the sponsor of hmm. the ROTC at Auburn or something, a nice little uh, oval-shaped portrait with her bob to the later pictures where she's in her ballet slippers yeah. and ready to go. <laughs> it's
0: very, it is is a very strange, it tells a very strange story, and it, it feels almost like someone that's in a costume all the time. mm mm-hmm. um, and, and I think it's interesting because I, in the public consciousness, we do think of them in terms of the Roaring Twenties and, you know, that sort of magical golden time of their lives where it was parties, parties, parties and fabulousness. We don't really hear so much about, like, her start as a Southern Belle debutante mm-hmm. and their unfortunate ends. We kind of just cut out that decade where the success was happening.
2: And really not even, though it's like 1920 to 1925.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and it's... It's kind of fascinating. So I think it's it really sort of does them a service to give them a fuller picture, even yes. if it's not all exactly sunshine and rainbows. Hey, Sarah, do you want to take a moment to talk about our sponsor? I sure do. Okay, so uh, Jack Threads has really quickly become the premier online shopping destination for guys. And here's why. Everything on the site is up to 80% off, because full price is ridiculous. Don't do it. Uh, They serve up really awesome contemporary and street apparel, accessories, and gadgets. You can get stuff like Converse, Vans, which, frankly, I've been wearing for so long, it could be a history podcast on its own. You rock the Converse, too, (laughs) Holly. (laughs) I do wear a lot of Converse. Uh, Penguin and busted tees. And shopping is ridiculously simple. All of the styles are already curated by a buyer that has style knowledge, so buyer's remorse is not a concern for you uh, and what's more is because you are a listener to our podcast you can skip the membership wait list you don't have to be invited by a member you just get instant access at jackthreads.com
2: so to get that special deal go to www.jackthreads.com slash history and you'll skip that whole waiting list and be ushered right into the club indeed indeed all right what do we have on the plate for listener mail today so first of all, we have a beautiful drawing that's done by listener Gracie. She's age nine, and her dad, John, sent us the picture from Victoria, Canada, and it's a picture of Amelia Earhart. It's awesome. It's really awesome. Holly is, is duly impressed. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is Amelia Earhart, there's her plane, there's some flowers, an airport sign, the sun, and Fred Noonan, who is holding a bottle of alcohol. <laughs> It's a good one. It's quite charming. So thank you, Gracie. It's a lovely portrait. I'll have to take a picture of it to put on our social media. Yeah. And thanks, John, for sending it along, too. Um, we also got a cool picture of Empress Lisey. Oh, I think you love her, don't you, Holly? Her dress
0: is divine.
2: Holly, as you guys who listen to the the underwear episode
0: <laughs> people just think of the underwear lady
2: <laughs> you know that she's a she's very interested in historic costume and um, costume design, and Empress Cece does have a lovely gown. This postcard is from listener Natalie in Honolulu. She had gone on vacation uh, with her husband and stopped by the Empress CC Museum, and that's always really cool when we hear from listeners who have been inspired to Go to a museum, yeah. check out a historical site for themselves. Oh, that dress is pretty. And then finally, I wanted to like inaugurate Holly in this listener mail Uh-oh. segment. Listen while. Well. Duplina and I haven't done it for a really long time. I'm gonna have one to get you ready, and then I have a big list that I've been storing up. So Scary. we can do that. We can do that maybe next week. Okay. Um, one of the coolest listener mail segments is when listeners tell us what they're doing while they're listening to the podcast and people have all sorts of amazing jobs or they are traveling in cool places Uh, listener Amanda wrote in to say that while she's listening, she's analyzing surface fronts and pressure every three hours for all of North America because she's a meteorologist. That's super cool. Really cool. So uh, thank you. She especially liked the five historical storms episode <laughs> for <laughs> obvious <laughs> reasons. Um, that'll be a, a fun segment to kick off again. And whenever we do one, people start writing in with new awesome. interesting examples. So, thank you, everybody, for sending along some mail. Yes, indeed. If you want to check us out on Twitter, we're still at Mist in History. We're also on Facebook. And I guess Holly will be joining me there. Yes, indeed. Soon. And then uh, Tracy will be taking over with posts in a few more weeks from me. That is correct. but it'll be fun. I've not wanted to post on the rerun episode, so things have been a little, little a little quiet. quiet on social media lately. We'll kick it back up and be sociable. We'll be back. And if you want to learn more about one of these famous expats from the 1920s, we do have an article on Pablo Picasso. Fantastic. So you can check that out, read about Pablo, who, as you guys know by now, is my... Seatmate here in the studio. <laughs> Heard from a lot of folks saying, I guess um, science podcast listeners who said that Julie has sometimes mentioned Picasso. Yeah, too. and I have Tesla.
0: You have Tesla. Oh boy! So if you want to learn about that or anything else, you can come and visit our website and type in almost anything your brain can conjure, and you will churn up all manner of information. And that website is HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Looking to part ways with complicated, expensive, and uncertain shipping?